This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. As artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI safety security. This episode is supported by Trustonomy, an original podcast from OneTrust. Every good relationship you have, personal or business, it involves trust. But we all know that trust doesn't just happen, right? We've all lost trust in a friend or a brand or a product. Trustonomy is a new podcast that looks at true stories from the past to understand how trust works and what makes it stronger and how to rebuild it when it's broken. Now, you know, I'm a sucker for a good podcast that weaves historical stories and relates it to what's happening today. So I thoroughly enjoyed this Trustonomy episode and recommend that you check that out as well. Search for Trustonomy in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to the One Trust team for their support. One dribble steps back, puts up a three, won't go. Rebound tip taken by Spades, final seconds. It's over, it's over. Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cavaliers are... Oh my goodness. The curse has been lifted. The curse is up. Oh my God. 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 I've waited all my friends to use for this. So by now, you've probably heard the Cleveland Cavaliers have clinched the NBA championship. And so you're probably wondering, are are we just big Cleveland Cavaliers fans? Is there a reason why we would start the show with clips from the Cavs winning? But, But it relates to what we'll be talking about today. We're going to be diving into data And one of the first stories that we wanted to bring you was a story on how the Cleveland Cavaliers marketing team uses data to manage and communicate 
with those rabid fans, those fans that have been waiting 23 years for a championship, those fans that show up to every game, that watch every game, that buy the memorabilia. How, at that large scale, does a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers use data internally in their organization? I think there's a lot that we can learn from what they're doing into what we do every day. So stay tuned. We're about to get into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So a while back, about this time last year, we interviewed Michael Conley, who is the vice president of digital at the Cleveland Cavaliers. By title, I'm vice president of digital. Um, all that really means is, uh, you know, I've got a very strong team that I'm fortunate enough to work with, and I guide a lot of our strategy and decision making as it relates to our platforms that have digital touch points. Um, so everything from uh, content uh, strategy uh, to our dot-com properties, our mobile applications, our social platforms, uh, uh, monetization of those channels. Um, so working very closely with our corporate partnership team on uh, piecing together a thematic that we can wrap around uh, a variety of different marketing touch points to provide a partner. Um, and then also uh, any of the emerging technologies that relate to enhancing fan experience, um, you know, kind of falls within my wheelhouse as well. Yeah. And so there is a lot there. Um, most of us, we have a, you know, a website, maybe a web app, mobile application, and we want to be able to track user data across those, they're tracking it across multiple platforms and then even into the physical space, which we'll get into in just a little bit. Most of our uh, .com properties run off the Drupal framework, um, and the NBA has uh, a white label solution that they provide uh, teams, and uh, they've been doing that for a number of years. And we went through a responsive redesign, which is about three years ago now. Um, but what they did in the redesign of the website is uh, they made it very flexible for teams to really personalize uh, their version of the website. So as you go from one NBA team site to the other, uh, some may look very similar, and in a lot of those cases. Uh, They'll probably have a very small digital team that are, that are working on those properties or even PR leads, uh, you know, marketing folks that are updating that. Uh, in, in our case and some other teams in the NBA, uh, we really try to focus on uh, building out enhanced features around engagement, um, authentication, uh, you know, data and analytics uh, to really understand the behaviors of our fans online so we can uh, really think about them first. So doing a, a quick look around, I could find Cavs.com. There's mba.com forward slash Cavaliers, which seems to be the main hub. But then off of that, there's CavsMembership.com. There's CavaliersTeamShop.com. And then several places where the schedule is kept, where fans can buy tickets. There's probably about six different sites for fans to buy tickets. And then there's about six or seven different community outreach, uh, be it nonprofit or different initiatives that they're taking with kids. And they want to track the data across all of these properties, including their mobile applications. 
But it doesn't actually stop just there. They also have minor league teams that are playing at this arena. And so Michael Connolly's team is also in charge of collecting the data on people who are fans of the minor league teams and even the other sports teams that play at the arena because people who may go to the arena to watch hockey are also good candidates to go to a basketball game. And so they're tracking people across all of the farm team's properties and the other teams that play at the Cavaliers Stadium to see what kind of opportunities they can offer them at different times of the year. We looked at our other uh, minor league properties because we don't just represent the Cavs here at Quick Loans Arena. Uh, we have an AHL hockey team, which is the Lake Erie Monsters, LakeErieMonsters.com. Uh, Cleveland Gladiators, which is an AFL football team that also plays here. We've got a website um, you know, dedicated to the to, to that franchise and uh, for years we had a very antiquated solution as our CMS. So they took the initiative to rebuild a lot of the sites so that they can start to share data in between the different properties. And, and one of the reasons why we decided to go down that path is you know while the calves are really the core of our business there is a lot of information and data to glean from the other minor league properties and when we look at you know lookalike profiles and other segments we really need to get a better understanding of who our fans are and we invested in that process, uh, you know, many years ago. And and what happened from there is, you know, once once we got things set up, and we're still going down that path of tweaking and refining a few elements to, to get better at what we do. But it all starts with an authentication element or an OAuth, right? Uh, so we we work with Janrain um, from that side uh, with a federated login solution. And what that provides us is, uh, you know, a, a great database of active users and engaged users on our side that will set up a profile and tell us information about who they are. And, and we take great respect in getting that data because for us, that, that allows our team to start to make decisions on how we can enhance their overall fan experience. So from a technical perspective, what does this look like? How are they actually doing this? Um, a fan goes from Cavs.com over to Lake Erie Monsters.com. Uh, they're going to be prompted if they've already created an account to, hey, welcome back and uh, you know, welcome to Lake Erie Monsters.com. Uh, would you like to modify your existing Cavs.com profile uh, for Lake Erie Monsters.com? Now the fan, uh, who may be a basketball fan and a hockey fan, has the ability to customize their persona by the property they're on, but it all ties back to one unique identifier. So now the dedupe process that uh, many data analysts have to go through uh, is resolved, but yet we have a wealth of information about uh, you know who that fan is. And then we can start to make decisions uh, on our technology and our product roadmap uh, by looking at trends and consistencies across the profiles and what type of products we want to build out or what type of components we want to roll out to our fan base. And then we can even start to target specific segments who will receive those first. Um, so it's a, you know, I think it's just a responsible way to, uh, you know, try to enhance fan, the fan experience online. So we're going to get into how they use that data, which is absolutely fascinating. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Now, back to the show. So now they've solved one of the big problems, which is collecting the data. And now what are they doing with the data once they have it? 
uh, you know, the digital team and, and how we would look at data. We want to understand kind of what content's trending for a specific time, how many people have logged in throughout the course of the day, which stories that they've logged into and they're reading have, have got the most engagement. Uh, so then we can start to make decisions on how we move around content um, to try to optimize the site based upon the trends we see. Uh, and then we try to carry that over into the bowl itself by uh, gaining all that information, understanding who those fans are. And now when they walk through our, our door, they've got their smartphone. Hopefully they have the Cavaliers app or uh, are actively using uh, their smartphone in the venue. Uh, we can make a match of who they are there and really start to drive customization to their in arena experience. So now you not only have customization in the digital world, which is getting more and more automated and personalized, but now they can actually customize your experience when you walk through the gates of the arena and taking all of this knowledge that they have about you and bringing it into the physical world and then converging those two data points of what you buy when you buy it at the stadium with what content you're interested online and how often you are buying tickets to a game. Just the amount of information that that comes through and and the triggers that come through as as fans are checking in, whether it be through a mobile app, whether it be through a credit card on file with a Veritix account. Uh, The second they come through the scanners, we know they're there. And uh, what's great, if they have a rep, if they're a season ticket holder, uh, that season ticket holder can now go out armed with information for that fan that's coming through to try to reward them with surprise and delight. Um, so if Joe Smith comes through and the previous five games, uh, Joe uh, has bought a hot dog and a beer at uh, the concession stand right outside his section. Uh, well, you know what? What if we cut him off at the pass and bring him a hot dog and a beer to thank him for being a fan? Um, and then the next time he comes in, we're able to target him with a, uh, you know, a coupon for a jersey tied to his favorite player because it's in his profile online. We know who his favorite player is. Um, so we're taking a lot of the, um, you know, guessing out of the equation and we're going from being macro, hoping to kind of catch a few fish in the net to being very specific about who that individual fan is that we're interacting with. So many of us could probably create some personas of sports fans by their favorite player, their favorite team, the other sports that they watch. But when you start taking the data at a macro level, you're able to see trends and demographics that you would never sit down and and think about. And that is where data and big data gets really interesting for companies. Um, you can really start to allow the technology to define potential personas that you've missed. So a good example of that could be, uh, you know, moms uh, with two plus kids. Well, you know, we may not have, um, you know, that information based upon their ticketing profile. Uh, you know, we can look at the secondary market and know that, you know, Joanne has uh, flashed her tickets, mobile tickets, over to an individual by the name of John that has the last name of Diane 15 times throughout the course of the year. So right there, there's a trigger that goes out that says, you know what, that's probably your child. And then we would go another level and try <clears throat> try to take a look, you know, through any social sediment or social profiles that we've captured data around to say, okay, does she have kids? Okay, all right, she has two kids. Are, are those two kids, uh, you know, possibly named John Smith. Okay, well, then we bucket her into dynamically a, uh, 
you know, a segment that would be a mom with two kids. Um, we also uh, look at our season ticket holder base uh, in four different segments. Um, we've got a, you know, a, a corporate fan, uh, which would be really tied to business. Uh, we have a super fan who is somebody that lives, breathes, everything related to the organization. Uh, we have a social Cavs fan. That's somebody that likes to be uh, seen and heard, um, that is vocal at the majority of our events, that likes to go out uh, to all of the uh, wine and gold member events that are like coach chalk talks and uh, meet and greet with players that they're always there anytime an event is uh, is active and then we have uh, you know kind of our casual fan which is somebody that has the tickets and uh, they'll use them 30 percent of the time and and i'll move them another 70 percent of the time and we'll, we can focus on that segment to figure out ways that we can start to bolster and move the casual fan into a super fan or other areas identifying those demographics is the first step. The second step we take is marketing. So how does data influence their marketing efforts? Um, you know, from a marketing perspective, uh, we really uh, we really look at fans uh, from a passive and active uh, engagement Um so a passive fan, somebody that comes in that uh, may have set up a profile at some point or maybe never has, and we've identified them as like a, a John Doe, uh, we then try to start to target that individual to provide more information or sign up for a profile so we can start showing them the perks of personalizing their experience with the organization. And then somebody that is very active, uh, you know, from that sense, marketing really becomes twofold. And this would be across all the segments, right? Uh, we're an organization that tries to, you know, get more fans to come to more games. Uh, so we're marketing out to them to sell our product. But we're also representing our corporate partners, helping them align with our brand to sell our partner's product or make our, our fans aware of our partner's product and the uh, alignment that they uh, have with the team. And in those cases, uh, we try to take a look at, um, you know, is there a synergy between uh, this fan and, and this partner previously? Uh, is there a, a history of purchase? Is there, um, you know, is there any mention socially of, uh, of this brand, whether it be on Facebook, uh, whether it be on Instagram, whether it be on Twitter, uh, have they ever mentioned that in a blog or a forum that may be uh, attached to a, a profile that is uh, a mirror profile of what they have with us? And then in that case, it, it becomes a, a different type of marketing campaign that we would want to go after that individual, right? So think about dynamic content optimization. You know, the more we know, the more we can start to deliver unique messaging and unique, uh, you know, marketing messages that are catered to that individual that don't become stale. And in a lot of cases, it's okay, how do we ride the strengths of what we do as an organization as the Cavs, um, right? We provide entertainment, uh, we provide affinity, and we provide a very active and robust fan base. So when we're partnering with a partner, our job is to really steer them into a direction where they understand the value of what sports marketing brings to the table. And it's not about spots and dots and signage. It's about us moving the needle on behalf of our partner by getting boots through the door, uh, by trying to get them to perform an action or create awareness or whatever that may be. And then we're not wasting our partner's time and money and effort because we can really start to drill down to focus on a segment or a persona that they know matches up perfectly with the brand. 
Uh, so that's just kind of on the surface, uh, you know, some ways that we, we look at it. Uh, you know, when it's all said and done, uh, I think by the time we really start to round out our persona library, we'll probably be somewhere upwards of 60 plus. Um, I would say 75% of those will probably become very uh, unique, uh, one-off type of targeting opportunities as requested by our marketing department or our social team or whatever that may be. But the more we build, uh, the more we can start to uh, look at and analyze the success of that segment to start to make changes to become better the next time around. And in the end, you get something that sounds like this. Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! So it's uh, it's great to look at it from you know the perspective of the Cavs, an international organization, giant sports team. But what does it look like for a startup? And so Joel brings us this piece on a local San Diego startup and how they grew by implementing some data tracking that any company today can do. All right, so as cool as all that stuff is, not everyone is the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? So I wanted to learn more about how a startup would get started using data to achieve their goals. And um, I mean, these are obviously going to be pretty different than what we just heard. So uh, I spoke with Karen Bellin, who heads up the data and analytics practice at Miram, which is a global digital marketing agency with offices all over the world. And we talked through a a client of theirs that is representative of a typical startup and, uh, you know, what they did to help them get set up tracking and analyzing data to achieve their goals of driving awareness and generating leads. So new company, you know, nobody had ever heard of them and, uh, you know, a big, a big challenge. So we started with thinking about the strategy. So Um, You know, just kind of taking that big step back and saying, what are we trying to achieve and what resources do we have available to achieve that? And what are some of the best tactics that we can test and learn from? So we're all going to have different things that we think are important to track. And we'll get into what this company did in a minute. But I think the, the big takeaway I had here is that that initial thought process behind a big picture strategy and nailing down what's really important for us to focus on right now. uh, That's something that you can't skip over just because there's so many things you can track. It can actually lead you down a road where you're just not focused on what's really important. And so this was a really critical step in the beginning for Karen to go through with this company. So we ended up having a mix of paid search, display, and also um, running ads on listings. So like for the type of business that this company was in, there's actually websites where you can search for companies that do certain things. So we were able to place their ads on those types of sites as well. Um, And those actually worked pretty good for this company. So when we look at each campaign, there's, you know, and this, this is in the measurement strategy is really a very big narrowing down of what to track. So you, we're looking at for our awareness campaign, um, you know, from an optimization standpoint, we want to look at engagement and we want to look at efficiency. So we look at 
you know, the cost per. So this is having understanding the cost we're spending on each tactic, especially when you're doing paid media. That's critical, a critical metric, having the cost. And then uh, per what? What matters? So we often look at engaged visits. So we say, if someone comes to our website, what are the things we want them to do that would show that they had some interest that might indicate an interest in our content? So whether that's scrolling, looking at multiple pieces of content, clicking a link, we can bundle that up into an engaged visit metric to be very clear what we're going for with an awareness campaign. So then you only have really like two metrics that you really need to focus on and everything else is diagnostic. So if you see one of those efficiency or engagement metrics, you know, having a huge fluctuation, you can dig into um, more specific metrics to diagnose that. But from a monitoring standpoint, standpoint, you only need to look at those two metrics. A lot of times for clients who are doing this paid advertising, they'll also look at brand metrics, survey, brand lift, brand perception, brand awareness. So this is, they may say, you know, for an awareness campaign, engaged visit is great, but really, you know, that's a pretty high bar for a campaign. Really, we just want to make sure people are seeing our ads and that we're registering as an as a brand for them in this area. So that might be a third metric, brand awareness. So this was really fascinating to me. I've never really thought about metrics in the way she's describing where um, you kind of have these larger umbrella metrics that are the main things you're looking at. And all the other metrics that you still want to keep an eye on are mainly used as diagnostics for these larger metrics. I think that's a really helpful way to look at it. And it was pretty eye opening for me to consider it in that way. But now that we have this kind of holistic view of how we want to approach and uh, look at our analytics, I wanted to get a little bit more tactical and dig into what they were really looking at um, when they gathered this data. So um, because with this client, ultimately people were coming back to the website, which, you know, I mentioned earlier is, is the heart of some of is you know the heart of where we start our analytics from. And we were able to use that as the place where we're able to start to make connections between the tactics and did they result in um, some semblance of awareness or an actual lead. Now, um, Google, like I said, Google Analytics is the web analytics that we use, but then for all of those different platforms that we were working on, we would pull in how much were we spending on the tactic, what was its reach in terms of impressions, uh, what were clicks, click-through rate, cost per click, and all of that, but we wouldn't stop there with the measurement. So once we knew they came to our site, if it was awareness campaign, we were looking at their, you know, what content were they looking at, how much content did they look at in a visit, um, you know, were they clicking, were they engaging, were they watching videos, that kind of, those kinds of interactions. And that was done as a separate exercise from any lead gen campaign. So um, once we had, we had a broader target for our awareness campaign, and then we were able to be more qualified and more selective around targeting for our lead gen campaign, which would um, look at like those more specific placements I said, like in the directory. So we're driving consumer demand, but also driving leads from businesses. And here we're using the same tools, except for a metric standpoint, we're looking at inquiries from the website. So did people click to contact and that sort of thing? Just like it's important to be strategic with what you track and how you track it and and how you 
decide you know what lens to look at it through it's also really important to know how long you should really give something before you judge it and unfortunately there's not a magic answer to this um But here's a really helpful perspective on how much time you should really give these things before you make any judgments or changes to your experiments or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, you have to give it time. I mean, these things have to mature. So that's another thing to be cognizant of. Um, You know, especially with paid media, there's like an equilibrium um, that you have to reach to just kind of see how it's how it's going and react to to get down to a, a good efficiency and with seo too with organic search we often see when you make major changes you actually on your website you might actually see a loss of traffic until it builds up but then you have a better foundation to grow that traffic so i don't have like a good rule of thumb but i'd say you know right away you just want to monitor you want to make sure your data is coming in and that it's clean and then you want to start to trend the data and just see if you're seeing you know if things are kind of plateauing then you know you're in a good point and that you can make some assessment judgments but if you see it's like you know it's very volatile then um, that could mean (laughs) you need to give it more time or there's something really really wrong so joelle what else are we going to be covering in this data series coming up Well, we're going to be covering a lot, but I'm especially excited about next week's episode where we're going to be talking about the history of Hadoop, which, if you're not familiar, is a company that touches pretty much everything you do on the Internet. They're on Facebook, eBay, Etsy, Yelp, Twitter, Salesforce, you name it. And they really pioneered everything we know about databases and the way that has changed our whole industry. It's really, really interesting stuff. Yeah, they've allowed for large big data if you will um to be stored and queried fast which is um which has really helped open up a lot of the things that we talked about with the calves you know that level of of data collection also looking forward to you know some more i guess actionable topics that we're going to cover using data for growth and kpis which you can both use internally Yeah, and we're also going to get into some of the more unique ways companies are using data and acting on it that you may find unexpected. So stay tuned. We have a full interview coming at you on Sunday, and we'll be back with the history of Hadoop next Wednesday, so you don't want to miss it. Big thanks to Karen Bellum and Michael Conley for sharing their stories with us and and all of this amazing information. Huge thanks to Segment. Not only is it an incredible tool that I've used at almost every company that I've either worked at or started, but it's also an incredible team and people that we have rooted for and supported here at rocketship.fm. So go to segment.io forward slash rocketshipfm to get a special offer just for Rocketship listeners. And it helps support the show. So definitely go check it out. I know it'll be something that you can use. So if you haven't yet, of course, subscribe. Leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. If you're on iTunes, please especially leave us a review. It helps get the show more exposure. And so even just a quick five-star rating bonus points if you write a quick review of why you listen to us. To check out the website and see any past episodes, interviews that you may have missed, go to rocketship.fm. You can follow us on Instagram at rocketshipfm, Twitter at rocketshipfm, 
Follow me at Michael Saka and Joelle at Joelle Goldman. So have a great rest of your week. We'll see you back here on Sunday for more talks about data. All right. We'll see you soon.